To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. On top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns, his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading today is found in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. And from Mark's gospel in the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated and uh, remember that... Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for a morning where you have gathered us together into your presence around your word to receive your gifts. We pray that as we see trials and temptations and the barren places of life show up, that we would remember your presence in them for us. We pray you move by your spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds, and lead us ever to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This first Sunday of Lent, traditionally, we usually see uh, the temptations of Jesus. It was just a handful of weeks ago at the beginning of the year where we celebrated the baptism of Jesus, and then this last Sunday we were at the Transfiguration. We're kind of jumping all over the place 
in the timeline of Jesus' life. But here we are back at the baptism. And with Mark's gospel, everything being so succinct and so truncated, we just read it again, right? But we get more to it this time. But in that baptism, there's this beautiful coronation that goes on. So when a king would be picked out, he would be anointed, right, as king. And he would be anointed for that role and set aside for that role. And as Jesus comes into the beginning of his ministry and sees John the Baptist out there at the Jordan, he walks into those waters and John sees him and says, I should not be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus just simply said, for now, do it this way. Right? And in that moment, we get from Mark, right? As he comes up out of the waters, the heavens tear open, the voice comes down from the heavens. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then you get this Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon him. This anointing, this moment where the whole Trinity is present Father, Son, and Holy Spirit marking Jesus for a purpose, for a job to do, for a role to stand in, really anointing him as king. I mean, king over all creation, king over everything. Now, if you were to imagine most coronation ceremonies and most things as this one now is identified as a king, what would you expect to happen? Probably a parade, some sort of big celebration, huge feast, some sort of party for the ages as this king would come into their role for a new reign in the kingdom, a new beginning in things as they would take on everything that had gone on before and keep a lot of that going, maybe have to make some changes here and there, but everybody would be looking to this king to lead and guide and protect and manage everything that's going on in the kingdom. And there would generally be a big party. What do we get with this anointing? Jesus fasts for 40 days out in the wilderness with no one around him. No big party, no nothing. The, from Mark's gospel, what we get is he was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That should sound weird to you. I don't know if it does or not. But think about that for just a second. This one who had descended upon him like a dove then said, all right, time to go, heading out into the wilderness where no one's around, and we're going to let our guard down a little bit here, and you're going to get tempted. That doesn't sound fun. I mean, he was in a literal wilderness fighting the literal Satan. That doesn't sound like it should be going on at all after that whole scenario of things. And though we may not walk in a literal wilderness, we do fight the literal effects of sin, death, and the devil. And see, this king, Jesus, with this identity as the beloved of the Father, now we see him out in the wilderness. And what I love in Mark's gospel is that we don't actually get any of the details of what goes on out there for the most part. We don't get the conversation between him and Satan. We don't get the three temptations that are spoken about. Those are all in the other Gospels. But in this one, Mark leaves it vague, open. Leaves you wondering, what happened out there in the wilderness? And I think that's helpful. 
See, in the other Gospels, we can almost read those and then say, okay, well, here's what to do in your time in the wilderness. Here's how you handle the conversations. Here's how you handle the temptations. In this one, you don't get that. In this one, you just get Jesus present out there in a wilderness. You get Jesus present out there in a time away from everyone. You get Jesus present out there and alone. You get Jesus present in a place where you probably feel like you've been at some time in life. So it allows this king to identify with us and it allows us to maybe even identify a little bit with what he's walking through. Doesn't mean we ever handle it the same way. But think about those times in life where though you may not have been sitting in the desert wondering where you were going to eat or where you were going to sleep and what you were going to eat, there are certainly wildernesses that you walk through. Think of a scenario where you drive up to a new friend's house. The landscaping is perfect. The paint is fresh on the outside. The windows have just been redone. You walk in and it looks like a model home. It is gorgeous. The couch is comfortable. Not like squishy comfortable, but not like firm like a wood pew, right? It's just that perfect right in between. You could sit there and have a conversation for hours. The coffee's just right, barely needs anything in it at all. It's not bitter, it's not cold, it's, it's just perfect. And then the food comes out and it's beautiful. Every flavor is there that you could want and the whole evening is absolutely wonderful. But the one thing you don't realize is that somewhere in the midst of all of their relationships, there's a lot of brokenness. There's arguments, anger, discontent, disconnection. It all kind of looks good on the outside, but at the heart of it, there's a lot of hurt. You may never know it, but it's hard when you actually see it. Or a perfect job, right? And you could have the perfect pay, the perfect benefits, corner office, if that's a thing anymore. Deal with all the perfectness of things, yet that person may leave with, depression and exhaustion and having no real connection with anybody, feeling alone, lonely, and no matter what the benefits and pay and work that's done, it doesn't change what's going on in here, no matter how well they present themselves. And many of you I know have worked through and have fought through all kinds of physical wildernesses, struggles. Things that we may never even see on a person's face, but to know the battles that have been fought with cancer, to know the battles that have been fought with fertility things, to know the battles that have been fought in so many of these wildernesses that we walk through, and yet we may never even know. And I think one of the temptations in the midst of those wildernesses is to think that maybe God isn't present, maybe He doesn't care, and maybe He's not in control. Maybe he's not the king that he says he is. Maybe he's not the king that we've known him to be. And so as we walk through those wildernesses, we can look back at Jesus and say, you know, as he was out there, I wonder what it was like. I mean, did he doubt whether or not God was in control? I mean, it was the spirit that led him out there into the dirt to begin with. Did he even care? Was he going to do anything about things? See, these are the details that we do actually get from Mark. First off, 
Jesus is God. He was present. He was present in the midst of that wilderness with every bit of his deity, also every bit of his humanity. But he was present. He was there walking through. And he wasn't alone. Lest you ever feel like you're alone in the middle of whatever wilderness it is that you might walk through, you're not alone either. God is present in the midst of that with you. It might be a trial that he's led you into, which is uncomfortable to think on and a little scary at times. Yet he doesn't lead you into it to leave you there and walk away. He leads you into places and walks with you. He leads you into scenarios and stays with you. He is in control. He does put boundaries around things. It doesn't mean that they're all going to work out great right in the moment, and I think that's what's hard for us. It's because we, when things don't go the way that we desire them to go, a lot of times we think that maybe God isn't listening. And that might be one of the biggest temptations of all, to think that God isn't present with you in the trial and that he's not listening. Because if he's not listening, does he really care? These are hard questions to wrestle with in our trials. These are things that we fight within our mind and within our heart, and they're tough things. But look at the gospel reading again for a second. Right after we get the part of Jesus being out there and being tempted, we get this other little word. And he was being ministered to by the angels. Oh. Well, that's pretty cool. The Father was actually sending some to minister to him. These angels, right? Angel just means messenger. So these messengers of God being sent down to the Son. Can you imagine what those messages were? Hey, the Father hasn't left you alone. Remember, the Father loves you. He just told you, right? Imagine what it was like around day 27. <laughs> Out there in the wilderness. Remember a few, be- few weeks back, you heard your father's voice again. He said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. That hasn't changed, because the character of God doesn't change. His steadfast love doesn't change. None of that changes. So these angels, these ones who would bring God's word into Jesus' ear, they're not all that different nowadays. God just uses different messengers. They look like all the people around you. God speaking through the people in your life to carry his word into your ear so that you would hear of his love for you, so that you would be reminded that you are his child in your baptism, that he hasn't left you alone no matter what the trial looks like, no matter what the wilderness is looking like. He is present with you and he has the same word for you, that he loves you, that he doesn't leave you alone that he doesn't forsake you, but his steadfast love is exactly the same. His love in the midst of the wilderness, that he cares for you. That's an important word to remember. That's an important word to be told because so many times we don't want to remember it or we doubt it or have a hard time remembering it. We need the voice of another person to speak it into our ears at times that, yes, what you might be going through is absolutely terrible, but the love of God for you does not change. His heart for you has not changed. The identity he has given you as his child has not changed, nor will it. Not by his doing, not by his hand. 
because he won't let go of you. He will be with you, ministering to you throughout whatever time of wilderness it is. But then we start to wonder too. All right, he's present and he cares. But is he going to do anything about it? Is he actually going to reconcile things? Is he actually going to make things right? Is he, is he going to make this go away? Well, ultimately, yeah. Immediately, I don't know. But it doesn't mean he doesn't care for you. And it doesn't mean he's not present. One of the beautiful pieces that we get in Mark's gospel of this moment as well is Jesus is being ministered to. And who does it say that he's with? He's with the wild animals. Not the tame animals. Not the fluffy, soft, fuzzy animals. He's out there with the wild animals. He's out there in the Judean wilderness with the scorpions, with the snakes, with the coyotes, with the jackals, with the wolves, with the whatever animal it is that's out there that's an animal of prey, whatever it is that's out there that could do some harm, whatever it is that's out there that nobody else wanted in town or around their house or in their presence, he's out there with them. We can go two ways with this one. We can either say, well, he fought them all off, like David did with you know, the lions out in the wilderness when they were about to attack the sheep, or Daniel in the lion's den, and you know, he was kept safe, but it was somebody else doing something. Or, you can imagine it a little bit more like the Garden of Eden when Adam hadn't sinned yet. And there was a perfect relationship between creation, between Adam and those around him, as the animals would not attack, but everything would work in harmony, everything together where we would see or imagine a brokenness or a hurt would happen that just wasn't there. It worked in harmony. Everything worked well together. And now Jesus out in the wilderness with the wild animals and the angels ministering to him to care for him, there in a perfect relationship, one as creator with his creation, but then also as the second Adam, the perfect man, the one that is seeing things come back into harmony and making things come back into harmony. The one who lives in that moment in a way in which there wasn't harm or hurt or anything. If you want to imagine it like a Disney movie with the Disney princess there that has the ability to talk to all the animals, fine, so be it. But that perfect sort of relationship where he stood there with everything right and perfect. A perfect relationship between him and the Father. A perfect relationship with the creation around him. And still being tempted to think that God wasn't in control. To think that he wasn't present. And to think that he didn't care. And in the wildernesses that we walk through, can promise you. God is present with you because he has promised you. He does care for you. Look at all the people he brings into your life to tell you so. And he is doing something about whatever it is that you're walking through. Again, you may not see it all get reconciled right away, but the promise to you is that everything will be made right in the resurrection. All of the sicknesses, all of the broken relationships, all of the internal wildernesses that we battle, all those things will be done away with. And there will be an absolutely perfect and right relationship between all the people and the people and God. 
is everything will be made right in that moment. Everything will be made right into eternity. Everything will be perfect in the courts of the king. And he's done that to give you hope. He's promised that to give you hope. Because I think in the middle of the wilderness, one of the biggest things that can come up for the majority of all of us is to think, like I said before, if God isn't present and he doesn't care and he's not doing anything about it and I can't figure out a way through it on my own, there's hopelessness. But our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of love. Our God is the one who has done everything for us to give us hope until the day that Christ comes back as king and raises all from the dead and brings them into that beautiful wedding feast and we enjoy eternity together in his presence because of his work and what he has done where hope is not needed anymore because the promise will have been fulfilled. So until that time, he hands you hope in Jesus, knowing that he's present with you, that he cares for you, and that he is doing something to make everything right in Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for having done all things necessary for us to be called your children and to be gathered into your courts as you reign over all creation. As your kingdom is at hand, as Christ is king and rules into eternity, we pray, Lord, that you would keep our eyes focused on his work done for us. So in those moments when we feel like you are ever so far away, let us know and remind us again by your angels and your people that you are with us and your love for us does not change. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise as we sing.